Have you seen the movie Bruce Almighty? I know I should probably be thinking about holier things right now, but it's been on my mind all week long. Uh, Bruce Almighty, starring Jim Carrey, plays the role of Bruce Nolan, a disgruntled journalist who had a really bad day, one of those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day sort of days, thinking about his life, thinking about the future, thinking about relationships and his job. There's one scene in particular, I'm not gonna show it to you because I'm not sure exactly how appropriate it would be. There's one scene where he finally, amidst all of the frustration, he finally turns to God. He finally turns to God and asks for a clue asks for a sign, a little help. Uh, he's driving down the road. He, he's asking, for God for a, asking God for a sign, and just in front of him is a road sign that says, caution ahead. He keeps driving past the sign. Out in front of him pulls a truck full of construction signs. Stop, don't go forward. I'm just wondering if you've ever found yourself a little bit like that. I'm desperate, he shouts. Give me a sign, a little help, give me a clue. And I'm just wondering, you ever been there? Give me a sign. I'm thinking of the college student asking the big questions about life and meaning and God and the relationship and is he the one? Or, or the major, which one should I pursue to, to get the job? And will there be a job? I'm desperate here. Just give me a sign. Or the, the teenager trying to take the right class to graduate at the right time, to get into the right school, to find the right job, and it's all so overwhelming. What she really wants is another snow day to watch another episode of Grey's Anatomy. I'm desperate here. Give me a sign. Or maybe, maybe the one decades down that road, already gone that journey, has the job that she likes, but maybe she should get the job she loves. But the kids are still in the house and finding space for marriage is tough and the folks are getting older. I'm desperate here. Just give me a sign. Have you ever been there? Have you been in that spot? Just give me a sign. Over the next several months, we're gonna walk our way through John's gospel. I'm calling it On the Way with John. That's how creative I am. We're gonna walk all the way through John's gospel from his Christmas pronouncement, the word became flesh, to his Easter shout, he, we have seen the Lord. If you're looking for a, a friendly companion along the way, I'd recommend N.T. Wright's John for Everyone. I think you'll find him a helpful conversation partner. Seven times in John's gospel, he talks about signs. There are seven sign stories in John's gospel. Not signs like we normally think about, what job should I take, which person should I pursue, what decision should I make, but in John's gospel, the signs point to who Jesus is and what God's about in Christ for the whole world because they were desperate. They needed a sign. The first sign takes place at a wedding. It's John chapter two, one through 11. Just listen. On the third day, and by the way, you should pay attention to that detail. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, 
the mother of Jesus, said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. She said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said, fill them with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said, draw some out and take it to the chief steward. And they took it. And when the chief steward tasted the water that had become wine, and he didn't know where it came from, though those who drew the wine knew where it came from, he called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the best wine first and saves the inferior wine until the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the best wine until now. Jesus did this. The first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John 2, 1 through 11. Who doesn't want to go to that wedding? Who doesn't want to catch that sign? We'll get, we'll get to the sign stuff in just a minute, but there are two conspicuous details on this wedding day that I'd like you to notice with me. It starts like this. You probably would have missed it had I not hit you over the head with it. On the third day. Now, you may think I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, and you can push back on me if you'd like, but notice, if you do, you're pushing back on N.T. Wright, who wrote the book, I Think You Should Buy, John for Everyone. He says, what do you think John is hinting at when he says that all this took place on the third day? What do you think John was thinking about when he said the third day? Now, John is not particularly known at this point in his gospel for deep attention to detail. He's the one who goes big, macro, cosmic. His gospel starts, in the beginning was the word. Doesn't even name him. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John's the one who uses the big metaphors to get after the heart of Jesus. I am the vine. I am the bread. I am the gate. He's the mystic who talks about light and darkness. But here on this day, the third day, he tediously includes for us. There are four Gospels, the three synoptic Gospels, and then there's John. The synoptic Gospels see the life of Jesus through the same set of eyes. That's what synoptic means. But John's different. John is other than those Gospel writers. They pay such careful attention to the details John is mystical, John big, John macro, John cosmic. John says, on the third day. Which stands in stark contrast from the other stories he's already told in this gospel. Admittedly only one chapter, but still several stories. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And then John 1.35, the next day, John, again, was standing next to two of his disciples. Then again, John 1.43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. The next day, the next day, the next day. But here, on this wedding day, he's careful to name, on the third day. What do you suppose John is getting at when he includes the third day? Now, I may not be the 
brightest bulb in the shed or the sharpest tool in the garage, but I'm pretty sure John is hinting at, pointing towards, drawing our heart's affection to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead who rose on the third day. John is announcing a new day, a new way. John is inviting us to see before it happens, what's about to happen on the third day is a proto-announcement through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything is different. Everything is new. So on this day, this early January day, depending on where you are in the world, I think we can agree. We live in a crazy, wild, mixed-up world. This week is the one-year anniversary of the events in our capital. A riot, a protest, an insurrection, call it what you will. We've seen it in other countries, but not in this one. All the while, healthcare professionals are overwhelmed as cases rise and hospitalization rates go up too. While the Greek alphabet is running out of letters to contain all the different variants, we live in a mixed-up, messed-up world, and John is announcing a new day, a new way. The power systems of the world aren't actually all that's powerful. The pain of your past doesn't get to keep you down. The broken pieces of your life will be picked up one by one, put back together and offered to the world as something beautiful, something good on the third day. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, which is a sham, a shame, an utter disgrace for the rest of their lives, sit yourself in the corner with the hat on, looking the other way, sort of shame, getting locked outside your house in a bathrobe, or worse, I don't know, kind of shame. The mother of Jesus says to him, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, which isn't pejorative, it's just differentiating himself as the son of God from his mom. Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. She doesn't seem to mind his hesitation. She says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, a conspicuous detail. Now, there were standing there six stone water jars used for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. John is announcing the big, huge macro story of God's unfolding salvation through the person of Jesus Christ, but we need to know how many jars there are, what they're made of, what they're used for, and how much water they can contain, a conspicuous detail. This is the first miracle told in all of the Gospels. There are, there are so many more to come. The healing of the blind man, the raising of the paralytic, the raising of Lazarus, the, the, the hemorrhaging woman made whole. Two, five loaves and two fish feed a feast for 5,000. There's so many other miracles. But this is the first miracle, and we really get no detail about the transition of the water to the wine. But for some reason, we do need to know how many jars there are, what they're made of, what they're used for, and how much water they hold. A conspicuous detail. This was a rule-following 
law-abiding kind of people. There were 613 laws. They were meant for their protection. They were were meant for their good, really. They were sort of like speed limit laws or the caution signs on unhealthy products, trying to keep people healthy individually and in community. And even so, the consequences for breaking the law or not living up to the law could be pretty harsh. They were a rule-following, a rule-keeping kind of people so they had these purification jars all over. So you, when, when, when you broke the law, inevitably, oftentimes, nearly every time someone somewhere would break the law, they, they had the opportunity to wash themselves, clean themselves, get themselves right, get themselves ready to stay in community, get themselves acceptable to God. But in this case, the water ran out. There was no, they were empty. There was no water in the jars. Good luck on that day. It's still on you. You've got to do it on your own. Standing there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Made of stone, because if they were made of earth or clay, they would be unacceptable according to Levitical codes to be used for purification. They were a tedious, law-abiding, rule-keeping kind of people, but the water ran out. So Jesus says, fill the jars with water, and they fill them to the brim. And he says, draw some out and bring it to the chief steward. And they took it. And when the chief steward tasted the water that had become wine, the water became wine. A foretaste of a foreshadowing of a feast he would offer some other day when he would say, after pouring out the cup, he'd say to his disciples, this is my The blood of my covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. No longer up to you. No longer on you. No longer the burden you have to bear. But forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Redemption in Jesus Christ. John draws our attention to a tedious detail to make the macro announcement. Jesus is the one through whom forgiveness is realized and redemption is accomplished. He starts the story with the announcement of the resurrection and he includes in the story a hint towards the crucifixion to say, this is the one, he's the way. In him, you'll find life and life everlasting. You are now set free from the past you can't change, launched into a future in which you can be changed. You are now set free from all the shame that wreaks its havoc on your life, causing you to do all kinds of things you wouldn't otherwise do. You are set free from the burden of guilt that keeps you where you are All the while, God's sending you out into so much more. You are set free. The water became wine. I like the way Leslie Newbegin puts it in a book titled, The Light Has Come. Purification is a negative action. The water removes uncleanness but does not give the fullness of joy. What the law cannot supply, Jesus will give in superabundance. The action of Jesus is free, sovereign, and surpassing any mere rectification of a defect. It's the coming into experience of that which is really new, the new wine of the kingdom of God. It's an act of overflowing majesty of the creator. The water became wine to free you from your past and launch you into something beautiful, good, whole. When the chief steward tasted the water that had become wine, And he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew. He called for the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the best wine first. 
and saves the inferior one until the guests have become drunk, but you've kept the best wine until now. Jesus did this. The first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Jesus did this. The first of his signs. There are seven signs in John's gospel. Seven sign stories. This, the first, the water into wine. The second, healing of the royal official's son. The third sign, healing of the paralytic at the pool. The fourth sign, the feeding of the 5,000. Fifth sign, walking on water. Sixth sign, healing of the man born blind. Seventh sign, raising of Lazarus from the dead. Seven signs. John is smart. John is savvy. John knows what he's talking about. There's seven signs. There's also seven I am statements about Jesus in John's gospel. He's announcing something about Jesus. The other gospel writers, when they talk of miracle moments, they speak of them in terms of power. Jesus has the power, the capacity, the ability. He's God's son. John speaks in terms of signs, pointing to who Jesus is and what God attempts, intends to accomplish through Christ for the world. Jesus is the sign. We look for signs, little indications in our lives as to what decision we should make, what person we should date, what job we should take. John sees signs pointing to Jesus, who Jesus is, and what God is about in Christ for the whole world. Jesus is the sign. We go the way of Jesus. He is the way. Jesus is what to do. Jesus, who says central to it all, love neighbor, love God. That's the way. That's the sign. Follow the sign who gives us the signposts. Love God, love neighbor. It, it takes the pressure off, doesn't it? It doesn't decomplexify the decisions you have to make, but it does take the pressure off. Maybe your, your future is not doomed because you dropped out of choir in seventh grade or transferred mid-year, or bought the new house, or took the new job, or retired a couple years earlier. Maybe your future is not doomed. Love God, love neighbor. That's following the sign. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, and his disciples believed in him. They believed he was the way. They believed he was the one. Love God, love neighbor if you're looking for a sign. When I was in college, I've shared some of the story with you, but I'm, I haven't shared this detail with you. I wanted to be a doctor, blah, blah, blah. Majored in chemistry, minor in biology and Spanish. Got rejected by whatever. I took the MCATs, the medical college admissions test, three times. That should have been a sign. When I was a senior in college, I volunteered at the local emergency room trying to boost my med school application when a surgeon in town who also happened to be my neighbor and knew me came into the emergency room and asked me if I wanted to scrub in later that night for a surgery. My eyes got wide and my heart started beating fast. I was like, absolutely. So I got to scrub in like real doctors, like wash your hands up to your wrists and the latex gloves that someone else puts on you and the blue gown and the goggles and the masks. It was amazing. The first surgery I got to witness was an emergency colonoscopy. Like, you didn't get to prepare for the colonoscopy, colonoscopy. Like, not that nasty watery junk that cleans your system. That 
should have been a sign. The surgery finished. The doctor brought me home. About 1 a.m. called me back, which is kind of hard to do before cell phones. He had gotten called back in to do surgery on a 29-day-old baby with a pyloric sphincter issue and wanted to know if I wanted to scrub in. Again, here we go. So he picks me up. We go to the hospital. Not only did I get to scrub in like the real doctors and, the, and all of it, I got to hold open the incision of this 29-day-old baby with this big, huge tongs and that little baby's belly. Surgery could have taken seven hours or seven seconds. I have no idea. I was standing there, my heart beating so fast. And at some point, the doctor said, well, that'll do it. So I handed the tongs to the surge tech or nurse, and the blood left my brain, and my eyes rolled back into my head, and I passed out on that OR floor. That should have been a sign. When I had to take the MCATs for the third time, they were held at Calvin College, which should have been a sign. When I got to the campus to take the test, I locked my keys and my lunch in my car. So I had to spend the lunch hour trying to get campus safety to unlock my car, convincing them that it was in fact mine so that I could have my lunch, so that I'd have a little nourishment for the second half day of that test, filling in all those blanks so that I could get on with my life. I should have actually filled in all of those blanks. On my way up to GR, to Calvin College, heading east on 96, I was feeling all kinds of angst and overwhelmed and nervous, and I'm doing my version of Jim Carrey, just give me a sign, I'm desperate here, really. It was more like, Holy Spirit, can you take the test for me? I'm driving along, and the sun just begins to arise over the horizon. It's big, orange, and pink hues on the sky, and I'm listening to a CD, that's a, a way of playing music in your car. I'm listening to a CD of Hope College Campus Ministries. A song comes on, in the morning when I rise. In the, and it just keeps going, give me Jesus. It keeps repeating that line, give me Jesus. And I, I get all kinds of crying, and I had to pull over my car. It was actually a red Ford Ranger pickup truck. I had to pull over onto the side of the highway. I couldn't see anything. The sun rising, and my eyes filled with tears, and the song keep, keeps singing. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. And I'm telling you what, in that cab of that truck on that day on the side of that highway, there was a presence, an overwhelming presence. That was the sign. I didn't hear a voice, but I sensed, you can fail this test or you can ace it. I'm here, I'm with you, I'm for you. You can go into some unknown future as yet to you. I'm the one. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, and his disciples believed in him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus gathered at a wedding, a feast with his friends and so many others. And he turned water into wine, a foretaste of a feast he would offer to a close circle one night when others were out pursuing him, some were betraying him, others would end up denying him. He still gathered at a table. He said, this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. And he poured out the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. 
If you believe that Jesus is Lord and you acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to partake in this sort of virtual way. If you're not at that place, if you just happened on the YouTube channel or you were dragged into the room, you're not really at the place where you consider yourself a part of the Christian story or not at a place where you can really offer your life and faith to Christ. This isn't meant to be awkward or manipulative. Maybe you could spend some time thinking about where your questions are and your, where your resistances are, and I'd love to hear them. Maybe I could share some of my questions too. You can find me at john at pillarchurch.com. But for those who do partake, it's the body of Christ given for you, the cup of Christ poured out for you as the ensemble leads us.